Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. But I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we hate men. We hate men so much. Like, I don't know about anyone else, but recently my hatred of men has just like continued to rise. And even last night I told my own father, it's just like, just to let you know, I will probably be angry with you by the end of this movie. Uh, <laughs> I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Uh, with me as always is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. How much do you hate men this week? Um, you know, a whole lot. <laughs> And, I, you know, it's funny because whenever I say that, then, of course, there's some really great men who are like, why do you hate me? And I'm like, okay, but not you. You're fine. But also, you're not because you're a man. Yeah, we, we agree that as a group, they're rather stupid. That's, you know, exactly. like, you know, just like store them, them individually. <laughs> it's like, you're okay, but generally you're terrible. Yes. There are individuals that I quite enjoy, and as a group, I hate them all. <laughs> Pretty much. And and I feel like this this week, these past couple of weeks, to be honest, have not hoped that whatsoever. Oh my gosh. It just um, feels like it gets worse and worse. It, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. You know, on the one hand, we're, it's like, it's, I think we've, we've talked about this so many times, it's just become a mantra almost, um, you know, we know that this is a good thing on the one hand because it means that like people are actually finally talking about some of the terrible men and maybe they'll be held accountable on the other hand it really is exhausting um and 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 not not at all to minimize the the trauma that women have undergone but it is just like constantly just like oh god someone else really Mm -hmm. okay fine (laughs) yeah well the thing is it's like we want to stop talking about garbage men not because we just want to pretend this stuff isn't happening but because we want men to just stop being garbage yeah yeah and and to and also just to stop also for all of us really to stop elevating bad men to to you know really because there are good men you know pedro pascal at least right now comes into a wonderful human being it's going to be so sad if he ever turns out not to be oh god Paul Feig Feig is a wonderful human being. Exactly, exactly. So we want to elevate those men and be like, yes, these are good men. We're we're happy with these men. And then the others we can get rid of. Exactly. Um, Taika, (laughs) Junho, you guys can stay. So uh, this week we're, we're, we've got a couple of different things to talk about. Um, we're primarily going to discuss Mae West because I'm really excited about that. And, and I, I mean, that's really perfect timing, honestly. <laughs> it is perfect timing. But first, let's get the, the, the garbage stuff out of the way. Um, Joss Whedon. Uh, Joss Whedon, who, as Karen reminded me before we started recording, was probably one of the first, definitely one of the earliest garbage men that we covered. Um, way back in 2017 when his ex-wife published a a whole discussion about shit that he did and his behavior towards young women, his behavior during their marriage, et cetera. And now a lot of the stuff that she talked about was 
pretty terrible. Uh, wasn't illegal, um, but was not good, right? It was definitely, okay, this is really uncomfortable. And, um, and definitely it began breaking down this whole concept of Joss Whedon as this great Hollywood feminist, right? Oh my gosh, Lauren, it was November of 2017. So it was like the same month that the Harvey Weinstein came out. And this was a week before that um, that 10 long years of trying to make Army Hammer thing <laughs> came out too, which is a whole other like... Oh. It's all coming together. It's all and coming that's all, together. Yeah, like tw- November of 2017 was just a banner month. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I just looked it up. Wow. Oh, it's been all, it's been quite a, quite a few years. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Um, so most recently, so we, we kind of knew that, you know, Joss Whedon was not a great person. There'd been a lot of talk about some of his behavior on the set of Justice League. Um, of course, Ray, Ray Fisher, who has, uh, talked about the, the nastiness on, on Justice League. And just basically that, that Whedon is an unpleasant person, is an unkind, et cetera. Well, finally, um, this, this week, uh, Charisma Carpenter, who appeared on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, came out in support uh, of Ray Fisher talking about her experiences with Whedon. And it's, it's truly horrifying. I mean, we're going to include a, um, a link to the, the original tweet where she just basically lays out everything. But basically, she she talks about Joss has a history of being casually cruel. Um, he created a hostile and toxic work environment since his early career. I know because I experienced it firsthand repeatedly. She talks about him encouraging her to get an abortion um, when she got pregnant, trying to get her fired, just being basically viciously mean to her. Uh, this then kind of prompted a lot of responses from other members of the cast of Buffy, uh, who, which ranged from specifically saying certain things. Um, Michelle Trachtenberg, mm-hmm. yeah, talked about how uh, she she wasn't allowed. She wasn't Joss wasn't allowed to be in alone in a room with her. There was an actual something. rule they had to create on set for that. Yeah. And this, this was, she was what, 15 when she was on the 15. show? 15. Mm-hmm. 15. Uh, people like Sarah Michelle Geller and um, who else? God, every, pretty much everybody who was on that show. Yeah, Sarah Michelle Geller. Um, Eliza Dushku was Eliza on it Dushku, for a while. Eliza Dushku, Claire um, Kramer, mm-hmm. um, in, including the men who were ta- who've come out um, and talked about the fact that, yeah, we knew that Joss was not a nice person, that he behaved badly. Uh, the Firefly writer Jose Molina um, refers to uh, refers to uh, Charisma Carpenter's allegations. Casually cruel is a perfect way of describing Joss. He thought being mean was funny. Making female writers cry during a note session was especially hysterical. He actually liked to boast about the time he made one writer cry twice in one meeting. So this is just toxic work environment. This is you know this it, it's harassment, it's meanness, it's cruelty, etc. And it. Unfortunately, you know, I'm not terribly surprised, particularly since the stuff about from his ex-wife came out and then also all all the stuff with Ray Fisher came out. Um, Plus just some of the things that, you know, we've seen some of his early drafts of what a Wonder Woman script, which is horrifying. Yeah. And well, and also he couldn't, he abandoned Batgirl because he couldn't come up with a story for her. Isn't that one of the things that happened too? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and 
and I think that it's particularly not particularly horrifying, but I think that that it's been particularly difficult for a lot of people, um, as as you mentioned before we started recording, that this is someone who for a long time was very much venerated um, by young women and by girls who grew up with Buffy, etc., for having created these kinds of characters, for having created these really wonderful. Um, female characters, these feminist storylines, and kind of being this sort of representation of a good male feminist in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And so for all of this stuff to then come out about him, which is just, I mean, this is just, it's cruelty. That, that is what it comes down to. It's cruelty. He obviously delighted in being cruel, and particularly in being cruel to women. I think that's what is so, uh, so especially hard to hear and hard to see is is this delight in being cruel and that that descriptor of casual cruelty is so it just it feels so horrible because like we've all known I'm sure we've all known people like that and it really is just such a terrible environment to be in and to just think about what that means for those women and what they have had to go through whether they were on camera talent and having to work through that or whether they were writers on the show, you know, I mean, Buffy, it came out in the late nineties and it was such an exciting thing because before that we really hadn't seen kick-ass girls on screen like that. I mean, there'd been other great, great female characters on TV. I'm not saying that, that she was the first, but it was just different. And it felt like it opened up this entirely new world of, of what female characters could be uh, on TV and like kind of what women were allowed to do. And to hear that this is what was going on behind the scenes, just it, Honestly, it's like since the stuff came out in 2017, I haven't been able to watch any reruns. And I loved Buffy. Um, I have not been able to watch that show again. I loved Firefly. Haven't watched a single frame of it since we started to find out what he was really like. And not because, I mean, it's again, it's that whole thing of like, I don't want to take away from the work that was done um, by all the amazing, talented people that worked on those shows, but also knowing how much people were suffering while this was being made, it makes it really hard to stomach. Yeah, and, and it feels like, okay, is this worth it? Yeah. You know? um, and it is the fact that I know this, you know, in some ways, I, we've talked about this in some ways, as a viewer, you're almost like, I really wish I didn't know this. Even though it's good that I know this, I mm-hmm. also wish I didn't know this. Because exactly. it is so difficult to watch. And then you, because you know all of the background, you know, um you you know what was going on you know what was happening to these people while these things were being made and that's been difficult not just in terms of someone like Joss Whedon but in terms of pretty much any kind of art that we like you know we've talked about people like Woody Allen and Roman Polanski and you know I mean every time the Weinstein company pops up on a a film that I'm watching I'm like oh god really right and and that's a producer that's someone who's not really creatively involved well, and I think the production of the film, but you're still like mm, creepy. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of why it's different. I think that's part of why I can still stomach watching a Roman Polanski film or even a lot of Woody Allen stuff is because it's like it's not just about separating the art from the artist, that whole thing that we've talked about a lot, but it's also the fact that that the terrible things that they were the abusive things that they were doing 
is also usually separate from their work anyway. So it's easier to like, to, to say, okay, I can watch this because what he was doing had nothing to do with this project, but Mm -hmm. watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer and knowing that Michelle Trachtenberg had to be protected from him. Like now knowing that Charisma Carpenter was being basically abused, right? Like as soon as they would cut, you know cut a scene then she was probably dealing with some terrible stuff from him then it just it totally changes the way that the way that you experience that work yeah yeah and um i mean i i I do have to say someone buffy never really meant much to me it was it wasn't something that i watched i don't know whether i was maybe a little too young for it when it initially came out or if i just wasn't interested or what um but one of a show that does mean a lot to me as as an adult is the avengers and the, i know about some of the shit that went on behind the scenes the reason the reason why diana rigg decided to leave the reason why linda thorson was basically tortured by some of the producers and directors mm-hmm. uh and this is you know this is in the 1960s and you're, you're almost kind of like well it's not surprising it's horrifying but it's not surprising but at the same time you're talking about these these women um who are playing these very strong female characters and in the best possible sense, I'm, I'm using that phrase, right? Uh, who are incredibly influential and they're being basically ignored or berated or sometimes actively treated badly by the men who are directing them. Uh, Diana Rigg talked about that her only two friends on set was Patrick McNee, who was her co-star and her driver. No one else was friendly to her. No one else was kind to her. Um, uh, Linda Thorson talked about uh, how at one point, because a cameraman positioned the camera in the wrong place and basically got an upskirt shot, she got called into a producer's meeting and yelled at for allowing this to happen, right? Wow. And and all of these things are, are horrifying considering the fact that you've got these wonderful feminist characters on screen. And on the other hand, you're like, yeah, but they're being they're being abused basically off screen it's horrible (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah well and so that's the thing it's like it's i wish that he hadn't been so protected for so long because and i'm not gonna say like oh charisma carpenter should have spoken out 20 years ago things would have been different like her reception would have been different she would have been labeled as difficult which she was anyway and that would have been basically the last we saw of her it wouldn't i don't think that we would have been receptive to what she had to say at the time and yet you also wonder like man what would it have taken for i don't know i don't know it's it's just too bad that that this was allowed to thrive that he was allowed to keep going and that he gets to make speaking of the avengers he gets to make two avengers movies uh, one of them is good. One of them is terrible. It's actually the worst film in the entire MCU. And honestly, it's <laughs> part of the reason it's so terrible is because of how misogynist it is, which was something that I think nobody expected because it was something we had never seen from Joss Whedon before. And it was shocking. And it was like, it was like something changed. It was like suddenly he felt free to really be what he thought or what he like really be his true self i don't know it was weird but um but yeah it's just it's i'm glad that ray fisher finally just came forward and that's the thing like these 
these people can't be stopped until someone is willing and able to come out and start talking about it and this happens every time it's like once one person speaks up then the dam breaks and then they then everything starts to come out and that's what we're seeing here and and at the same time i'm still horrified that you know ray fisher comes out and talks about this stuff and everyone's kind of like meh yeah and and then uh and then you finally get this kind of tsunami of of women coming out and talking about it uh, you know pretty much the entire cast of buffy mm-hmm. uh and 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 then suddenly the and, and these are primarily white women right so and then suddenly the, the conversation begins to change um at the same time you're like okay so we're going to have to continuously so black people people of color and women are going to have are going to continuously have to rehearse trauma Right. right. In order to convince people that this person is actually a bad person, is actually someone who's being abusive and should not be in any positions of power. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 exhausting. I mean, I think that we've we've been exhausted, I feel, since the Harvey Weinstein stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it just keeps on building. And, and the thing is, this isn't the last this isn't the last person we're going to hear about. Oh no! Um, you know, maybe it is good that that a certain amount of purge is going on. Yeah. Well, and that's why it's like I'm glad that we're getting attention, positive attention, on stories like what came out with that conversation between Emerald Fennell and Olivia Wilde recently, where they talked about how they both have a no assholes on set policy, mm-hmm. and that goes for everyone on the set, whether they're the star of the film or a driver like nobody's allowed to be a dick and there's a story that olivia wilde tells in that conversation i think it was olivia that someone had early on given her um given her advice to pick a fight every single day and then win that fight so that it establishes every day that she's in charge and she was just like that's stupid i'm the director everyone knows i'm in charge i don't need to prove that every day i just need to be that every day Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah it's such it's uh, it's so interesting listening to the way that men direct and talk about their processes and talk to the people on their sets versus the way that women handle things you know and we've talked a lot about like um you know some of the things that male directors do to kind of like shock their actors into the right responses and reactions and things versus what women do and I remember when I was talking to Jennifer Kent a couple years ago about the Nightingale Mm -hmm. and we talked about um you know she's handling these really traumatic things that you know it's about rape it's about violence and um you know we talked about how she made her star feel safe on that set all of her stars the men and the women um because that's that's difficult thing for men to enact as well as having Mm -hmm. to be violent against women on screen and um and it's just interesting hearing that because like she was really dedicated to making sure that her co-stars um felt safe and comfortable around each other she wanted them to be friends so that this wouldn't be a traumatic event for them and so this wouldn't be something that they would you know have to live with in a in a bad way whereas male directors they want that animosity because they think that's the only way to get like a really good authentic real performance is if the two actors actually like have this animosity toward each other off 
the in uh, uh, away from the camera too and it's just I don't know it's just interesting it's like this is why women just need to direct all the movies <laughs> get rid of the men because they you know they had their shot let's just let women do it for the next hundred years and well, uh see what it, happens yeah and and it does it does sound like a lot of female directors and I'm certain that there are exceptions but sure. but uh, it does sound like that a lot of female directors treat filmmaking as a, more of a collaborative process Mm-hmm. that this is this is a film we are making together right and i am i'm running the set because someone has to run the set and and i and so i am in control but also this is something that we are doing as a group of people right yeah and that's a very different attitude to the attitude of a lot of you know and and we've talked about our tour theory and all of this stuff this, this sort of attitude of, of this masculine form of filmmaking um which is you know the director is king the director is tyrant whatever else he wants to be and you do get male directors who don't do that there's been a lot of talk about the way that david lynch and mike lee run their sets Mm -hmm. um and it's much again much more collaborative much more like okay this is something we're doing together uh but there's definitely this this cadre of, of this of belief that you know the director is in sole control um, and, you know, just recently, uh, in fact, I think yesterday, a, there was a profile of Shelley Duvall. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and of course, we know the way that she was treated on the set of The Shining. We know that how, what trauma <laughs> that created for her. Yeah. Um, and you're talking about someone like, like Kubrick, who is widely regarded as one of the greatest directors of all time. He's widely regarded as a genius. He is, but he was also a horrible person. And there, and, and uh, one of the things that I don't get is at a certain point, you need to take a step back and be like, no art is worth this. Right. Right. No art is worth, yes, I think The Shining is a great film, but I would rather The Shining didn't exist if it had to damage another person so badly, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And you think about that about a lot of these films, just like this is not worth it. This is a film. This is a piece of art. It might be an important piece of art, but it should not destroy someone's life. And and we need to stop treating film or art generally as though it should, right? As right. though it's somehow brave that you know Martin Sheen had a heart attack on the set of Apocalypse Now because he was put under so much stress. It's like what? This could have this probably permanently damaged him, mm-hmm. and 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 there's no art that is worth that. Exactly, exactly. Well, and that's the thing. It's like you hear all the time about actors that were almost cast and they didn't, and so then a role went to someone else, and then it's like, okay, that begins and that becomes an entirely different movie. It's like, yeah, you can have you can still have that same movie. It's just gonna feel very different <laughs> and people can all walk away from it having had a good experience and be healthy physically and emotionally and mentally you know it's yeah yeah oh, this okay. makes well, me just so angry yeah so uh before we talk about really happy things and awesome women who are awesome <laughs> actually let's talk about an awesome woman who is pretty awesome but is being very badly treated and has been very badly treated yeah um so i believe it was this week that the britney spears documentary came out i think it was last uh, friday yeah last friday okay um and so that's been a major topic of conversation over over the past week or so um the britney spears documentary uh framing britney spears it's a new york times documentary that uh, premiered on hulu it's directed by samantha stark and it basically uh is is a examination of 
the media's treatment of Britney Spears from the time she became Britney Spears, from the time she was a child, um, through to today, and especially uh, the conservatorship under which she is currently living, um, controlled by her father and a number of different handlers. And it's, for me, this film was predictably deeply troubling, uh, partially because I was, I was about the, I was the right age. I was never a huge fan of Britney Spears, but I remember kind of all of the events that they hit I was like, oh yeah, I was I was a kid at that point, and I was I was a preteen. I was a teenager. I was just graduating from high school. I was just graduating from college, and so I remember all of these things, and I remember how the media framed them, and how, for me at least, I, there is no doubt that some of that stuff was became internalized misogyny for me, because I remember being like, oh yeah, she's crazy. Oh yeah, she's like a slut or whatever else, and you look back on it, you're just like look at the way that the media treated her. Look at the way that, you know, anyone, I'm sorry, watching some of that footage, I was just like, anyone would have a, a mental breakdown as a result of this. Any human being treated like this would at some point crack, like you have to, you can't, how can you, how can you think that anyone would be able to survive that and come out whole? Um, so it, it's a fascinating documentary. It, it made me very, very angry and very angry about the way the, the media treated Britney Spears and the way that we continue to, to treat not just Britney Spears, but all of these, these young actresses and, and performers, both from the 90s and today. I mean, I don't, this is not something that's new. This is not something that isn't still happening. It's not like this was in the olden days of the 1990s and the early aughts when I don't know, people didn't know any better or something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What are your feelings about this, Karen? Yeah, I watched it last night and it's, it's interesting because, I mean, I've never really been into celebrity gossip. And so I knew a lot of the stuff that had happened. I knew a lot of the things that people were talking about in Britney's life, but I was not really a big fan of her music and like you said and um I didn't really pay much attention to the gossip because I was just like I don't really care about that I mean I cared who was getting married to who you know and when people were getting divorced Tom and Nicole I'll never forget that but um <laughs> but uh <laughs> oh god the gossip rags the good old days but but yeah but it's like I just never really paid much attention because I always just thought okay a lot of this stuff is either completely not true or completely taken out of context you know but where I really felt the like the like punch in the gut I guess when I was watching the doc was thinking about how many times I laughed at some of the jokes you know like there's this clip they they show one thing on the stock but then there was a big longer clip it was like four minutes um that was circulating on twitter earlier this week that was jay leno talking about monica Lewinsky, and i do remember that stuff yeah. really clearly yeah. and i remember at the time thinking all that stuff was funny and it just i mean i think it says something about how much I've grown up as a human but also it just really is horrifying to think about how I was part of the problem too because I used to you know I used to be okay with that stuff I used to think that that um you know making fun of women for their appearance or any reason and 
taking entertainment from people's personal lives i used to find some some humor in that and some yeah. entertainment and that's so wrong and so gross and i think one of the things i was thinking about too um as i was watching was how interesting it is that because of because of tabloids or even now because of social media or whatever just this way that people feel entitled to access to celebrities and i mean one of the things you and i were talking about last night was um that one paparazzo photographer guy who was just acting like well britney had always been nice to us so uh you know she never told us to go away <laughs> what about when she told you to go away oh well <laughs> like, well well yeah and, and i do think that there's a lot of of uh, cognitive dissonance going on that, that yeah. there's a lot of people who they're he's ignoring some i think at some level he knows that what we, what he was doing was wrong but mm -hmm. it was what he did that's how he made his money yeah and he talked himself into a, a space where he was like this is okay you're just like well right. she told you to go away yeah but she told us to go away for like the day yeah and you're just <laughs> like do you not did you not process you know so i i remember that whole incident when she um you know she shaved her head and then she she hit the the, the paparazzi's car with an umbrella right mm -hmm. and i remember that happening everyone being like britney's insane and you know and i didn't even question i was i was i would have been a teenager possibly in college by that point i think it was like 2008 um as like oh britney's crazy she's a psychopath you know all this stuff and, I, and everyone was talking about it what i didn't know and what i never paid attention to was was the actual lead up to that well you know yeah. she was being followed around she had been refused uh access to her children she was upset she was with a friend like one other friend she's upset she's going through a lot of emotional turmoil and mental turmoil and meanwhile you've got these photographers who are chasing her trying to take pictures of her and being like oh babe you okay it's just like no she's not okay leave her alone right and they're so concerned and just wanting to ask her if she's okay that they're taking a bunch of pictures of her when she's clearly having a really bad night you know it's just yeah. oh, it's so gross and it's like i don't remember i didn't watch the um the ann curry interview or the um what's her face um Diane Sawyer. Diane Sawyer. I didn't watch those interviews because I didn't, I wasn't that interested in Britney, but I do remember a primetime interview with her and Kevin. And it was like not long before they split up and they were living in this house that was basically like a fortress because they just were trying to shut out the paparazzi. And I don't remember if they even had either of the kids yet. They probably did. But, um, but I do remember that interview and I, I just, I felt so sad for her. Everyone else is like, man, she's really turned into such a mess and oh, she's white trash and what, you know, can't take Louisiana out of the girl or whatever. And I just remember being so disgusted by that. And I'm not trying to say I'm like more enlightened than anybody else, but um, I just remember thinking like there's this this girl is sad like her life has been really really hard and i felt bad for her and i think that's part of why i never really paid much attention to this to the the like tabloid stuff because it was like it, it, that's just like let her live her life you know she's an entertainer and that's it and i don't know it's it's 
it's kind of funny because this whole thing with her conservatorship which that was the interesting thing i didn't know much about how those work and i didn't realize that once you're in one you like don't get out of it ever um i thought they were supposed to be like more or less temporary so that was an interesting um piece of information but it was like it's cool that there are fans that are supporting her and after what happened this week with one of the judges it seems like wow maybe this is actually gonna help her out but there's even still a sense in a very different way of people feeling like they have some sort of entitlement some sort of right to access to her with like that podcast that those two girls started that's just all about her instagram Mm -hmm. and i was like okay fan stuff whatever but then it was like as soon as she disappeared they just made it their mission to like track her down and find out what was going on and it's like it's been 10 days we haven't heard from it's like what why are you so obsessed like leave her alone yeah, well, and, and that's the thing. For for once, I'm like, oh my god, I agree with Michael Moore. There was yeah. a brief clip. There's a brief clip where he says, "Well, maybe maybe we should just leave her alone." Yeah, I was like, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Someone was like, you know, maybe we're the problem. Uh-huh. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I know. I felt the same way. I was like, oh, I agree with Michael Moore. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it it is this like they're there's a there's a narrative I think at some level there's a narrative that's going on and in some ways this documentary is a part of that narrative and the fact that we're talking about it right now is a part of that narrative where you know she was this girl next door she was this big star then she had all of these issues uh now she's like in a situation where she's practically a prisoner um and then it's and I I do think that there's a good chance that at some point she will know that will no longer be the her position right and and e- at each point, she has become a part of someone else's narrative. She's become a part of a public narrative that doesn't really acknowledge the fact that she's a human being who is probably has problems, probably does need help, um, and, and has been in the spotlight since she was a kid. Yeah. Right? So she was a kid. I mean, her first appearance was on, what, Star Search or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, where she's a 10-year-old girl being asked about whether or not she has a boyfriend and I really just want to be like you know what I wish she'd been like actually I'm gay <laughs> like I really wanted to hear that <laughs> yeah. or something oh man um, well and not only that but like the follow-up question when she's just like no boys are mean and then and I mean I love Ed McMahon he always seemed like a sweet guy but he was just like well what about me I'm like ew gross yeah you're like an old man you're talking to a 10 year old you know yeah. and, and that's that's the thing and, and at each point you know you, you see those those uh, interviews where they're talking about her virginity or her breasts or anything and i was like mm-hmm. first of all it's really inappropriate to say this to like an 18 year old girl second of all it's really inappropriate to say it to any woman yep like i'm sorry if you and and it did remind me of all of these things that we've treated as acceptable right the the commentary on on actresses bodies the commentary on musicians bodies this like obsession with we're gonna catch you know we're gonna catch them oh my god she's wearing sweatpants doesn't she look like a pig it's it's insane yeah and and this this sense that not just tabloids have a right to these people's bodies but that we as the public do that individual interviewers do that you know um, some man has a right to comment on an actress's or or a musician's breasts because Mm -hmm. i don't know she's got breasts like of course she has breasts she's she's what she's a woman like what are you what is yeah. even 
happening? Yeah. And why would you think that was appropriate at any point to talk about, like to, to even have a conversation about like, I, well, there are boobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where in this uh, framing Britney Spears, that's where it really felt like I felt like I was getting a mirror shown to myself because that's where I've definitely in the past I feel like I'm a lot better about it now but that's definitely where I where I was wrong in so much of you know when I was younger it was constantly being okay with criticizing women's looks while I am not exactly beautiful myself you know I'm very normal looking but there's nothing special about me and I'm sitting here criticizing like oh her nose is kind of big or oh like why would she do her hair like that you know or it's it's very I think there's a lot of internalized misogyny and it is yeah. misogyny, you know yeah and, and we do we have this tendency to immediately be like oh doesn't she look awful it's just like well, of course mm-hmm. she, you know of course she looks awful she like just got up and went out for coffee like yeah. she's got two small <laughs> children who looks great when they do that you're not fucking camera ready when you go and, and she doesn't owe that to us she doesn't yeah. have to fix herself up for us to be able to say like oh she looks great all the time like that's ridiculous yeah, it, exactly and and it I, you know and, and i think that the depressing part about all this is that of course this is still going on and we've talked about the, the areas of the media where this is still going on luckily women are beginning to push back against it more actresses have been talking about it more and there's there's definitely the culture has definitely shifted since the 90s and the early aughts yeah. but it's still it's still there and um and and yeah at the end of the day britney spears doesn't owe us anything i i just at this point, I'm just like, I really hope that she's okay. Like, yeah. the, that she finds a way to be okay. Yeah. Well, um, and I think that was one of the things that was an interesting point in this was, you know, especially, I mean, it had been building for years, but especially in the 90s and the early aughts, it really had become the tabloids were controlling everything. And by that point, it wasn't just magazines in the supermarket. It was, you know, the tabloid shows, um, you know e-news and tmz and all these tv shows that were gossip rags on screen um that really did uh, basically tell us what to think about these celebrities and really formed these these images of them and now people like, i know that stuff still exists but it's just different now and it seems like it's it's not as prevalent and and the point that they made that really made sense was like now people are curating their own images because they have their social media you know like they can be whoever they want just like we all can through instagram and through twitter and stuff and so it really has changed the way that paparazzi work and it's changed the way that tabloids work for better or worse and there's a lot more again for better for for better or for worse direct public access to celebrities so you know we can have a conversation about carrie mulligan's an interview with carrie mulligan right or about britney spears or anyone else and and there's a much more of of this direct access where it's no longer a group of magazines or a group of television shows controlling the narrative it is a whole lot of people controlling the narrative yeah, um, and that can be good and that can be bad, but it, it has definitely changed, um, and it's changed the way that we approach celebrities, certainly. Yeah. So, all right, let's move on to talk about something more fun. Um, 
A woman who was very much in control of her own image, who in fact probably lost her career at the end of all of it because she was so in control of her own image and the things that she said and the things that she did on screen. Um, I really wanted to talk at some point about Mae West, uh, who is one of my favorite screen icons. She is, uh, there is no one who is quite like her. She really is her own thing. Um, I, I've, I've loved her for years. I mean, I remember hunting down uh, a copy of the film She'd Done Him Wrong and partially because I was in love with Cary Grant at the time. And then I actually got to see Mae West and was like, oh my God, she's amazing. At the um, time, you say it like you don't love him anymore. <laughs> I still love him. I still <laughs> absolutely love him. Uh, just not as intensely as I did when I was a teenager. All right, that's fair. <laughs> um so so west had a really fascinating hollywood career at the height of her her career um she was close to 40 she uh signed a contract with paramount pictures in 1932 and she basically became this massive star she became one of the most popular stars that paramount had um and she fell into kind of rightly that that period in hollywood history between um between the sort of dominance of sound and the uh, and the advent of the code, she fell into a really interesting period in Hollywood history that we've talked about before, uh, as this very sexually explicit, risque, um, double entendre woman who was very much in control of her own image, um, and in what she wore, in what she said, in how she was photographed, in the way that she related to, to men on screen, in the way that she related to, um, uh, to, to other women on screen. And a lot of this all begins with her stage career. She had a very long stage career prior to, uh, prior to, be, to joining the films. She famously, uh, her play Sex was rated um, and she was arrested, a number of other people were arrested for obscenity. <laughs> so this-, this And she went to jail for 10 days. She went, yep, she went to prison. And, but um, she got out two days early, I think, because the warden had a liking for her. That's how I, that's how I was reading the story. <laughs> he was well, whining and dining her and let her out two days early. <laughs> and and she was very like you know she was very much you know if you watch her on screen she's very much this woman who is like who enjoys her sexuality who enjoys being sexual she enjoys men mm -hmm. um but she enjoys men one of the things i've always liked about her is that she enjoys men on her terms um it's never on their terms it's always like this is who, this is what i want this is who i want to sleep with this is who i want to be involved with i even at the most most of her films she winds up getting married at the end of the film but even then it's like this is going to be on the terms that i set yep. and with the person that i will marry not the terms that he sets not the terms that society sets etc i'm going to be in control of my money in control of my body in control of my sexuality in control of who i want when i want them and whether or not i'm going to want them tomorrow um and it's really admirable and very unusual in a lot of ways to see someone like Mae West on screen because we we don't expect her, you know, we expect her to be almost too extreme. Um, and she does push the envelope, definitely. She pushes the envelope about what femininity even looks like. Uh, you know, she's always, she's always, whenever she's a sweet, she's always wearing these incredibly tight dresses, these, you know, 
incredible hairstyles or, or hats or, you know, headpieces. Um, she's always dripping with jewels, um, <laughs> yep. very much like represents herself as her, her on-screen persona is very much like she's very acquisitive. She wants money. She wants jewels. She wants men. Uh, and, and she's got a lot of, of power basically and kind of plays, plays the game on, based upon her own rules and on the things that she wants. So um, I just wanted to kind of talk about who, who she was. Karen, was this, is this the first time you were watching Mae West films? It, I'm so embarrassed to admit that yes, it is. I've known about her forever. Um, and I've seen, you know, I've seen people imitate and channel her for years. And I think I've even seen a couple of interviews with her, but um, like videos of them but yeah i had never seen a may west film before and i'm so embarrassed that i hadn't because she's just one of those people that like <laughs> i mean she is an icon and the the what she did for feminism what she did for lgbtq rights i mean uh or at least acceptance you know, it's just, she's such an amazing person on screen and off screen. And the fact that she, at, you know, in the thirties, we had, again, we have all the, we've talked about this a lot, but we have all these views of what, what the 1930s were like in the forties and, and, you know, what was considered proper at the time, because that's what the Hayes code. And that's what the censors wanted to curate was this, you know, women were prim and proper and Mae West is very much not that. And she was allowed to be, uh, she was allowed to be who she was because she just refused to be told she couldn't. And I think that there's just something so, so wonderful and refreshing about that. And it just, it, part of it too, makes me wonder how different the landscape would have been and how quickly if more women had followed her and had just said, yeah, you know what, we're just going to be who we are and to hell with the rest of them instead of letting men, um, not, I don't know. Uh, I mean, men had a lot of power and that, that is very difficult to navigate. And a lot of people are not equipped to go up against that but Mae West was and not only did she star in her films she wrote them too she decided what her dialogue was gonna be and she again to talk about curating images she curated her own image and didn't let other people tell the world who she was yeah, and, and I think talking about curating of images, I think that um, it's interesting to, to consider the image that she did curate because it is almost this this burlesque of femininity that there, there's an extremity to it. Yeah, she's like right? aggressively feminist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she, aggressively she's, sexual, yeah. Yeah, she she's very like, I, I actually, as I'm talking, I keep on making these gestures of like big, but there, there is this like bigness to her, you know, uh-huh. um, she, she's extreme. She, uh, the way that she talks, the way that she walks, the clothes that she wears, the jewelry that she wears, it's, it's almost, it's almost edging into, you know, this sort of, um, and th- this is, this is where I think she gets really interesting. She based initially um, in, in her, in her stage persona, she based her stage persona and her walk off of what were then referred to as female impersonators. 
Um, so drag queens, men mm-hmm. who dressed and acted as women in burlesque shows or on vaudeville uh, and were performing, you know, these kind of, again, that extremity of femininity. <clears throat> and it's interesting then because you've got this persona who's based on um, the ex- this extreme femininity that we associate with, with, with drag queens or at the time with female impersonators um, being played by a woman. Right, so this woman kind of embodying this this extreme femaleness uh, as part of her persona and and like like we say as part of her feminism as part of the way that she expresses her sexuality, she is almost getting away with it because she's being so extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know when she makes all of these jokes about men and you know all kinds of things, all kinds of things about like, you know I'm, oh I'm six six oh well let's let's talk about the six inches. <laughs> yeah, well, and you say she almost gets away with it because she's so extreme. I think that's exactly why she gets away with it because she she pushes in such a way that it's it's attractive and people like it and they want to see that. They want to see more of that. And so, um, so she gets away with it because she, I think if, uh, if it was toned down a little bit, it wouldn't have been as, um, as attractive to people because I don't know, just when you, when you really push boundaries, uh, that can be very exciting because there is that, like, um, that element of, of naughtiness or, or, you know, things that are taboo and, and not allowed. It's like, well, yeah, then you want more of that. Yeah. And the humor and particularly the humor in that period. Um, if you look at a lot of the, the comedians who were major screen stars in that period, a lot of the humor is based in extremity it, it, and it is based in vaudeville uh, ultimately, mm-hmm. but you know, if you look at the Marx Brothers, the Marx Brothers are extreme caricatures of a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. They get away with some of the things that they do and some of the things that they say because it's just like, oh, well, this is just supposed to be funny. Um, and I think that Mae West kind of falls into that category to a certain degree, at least. She can say some of the things that she says and behave in a certain way because you're like, well, it's a joke, but it's also not a joke. And, and I like the fact that she really does walk that line in, the, in most of her films, certainly in her pre-code films, mm-hmm. um, that she's always walking that line between not quite being obscene, like she never completely crosses over to saying what, <laughs> what she's actually saying, but it is so close. You're just like, holy shit, how did she get away with it? Yeah. You know, and just the way... One of the things I noticed in rewatching some of these films that are on the Criterion channel, um, just the way that she looks at men. Like <laughs> when Cary Grant walks on screen, and, and honestly, I think that she is all of us at that moment. We're oh, just yeah. like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, you know, she yep. just looks him up and she eats him up. You know, she's just like, oh, yes, please. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, boy. And and she does that constantly. In all of her films, she's checking out men's asses. She's looking them up and down. She's looking at their crotches. She's like feeling their arms, you know, all of that. And it's appreciative, but it's also like, it's also like, oh yeah, I want to have sex with you. And also I probably <laughs> won't call you in the morning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's she's so great. Well, and, and just watching the films that I did watch this week, um, I kept thinking about, I was 10 and I was obsessed with golden girls 
And I just kept thinking like, wow, Blanche Devereaux really does channel some of this, this um, attitude of Mae West. And I never really realized that before, but it's just like, man, it's so fun. <laughs> like it's that whole, like, I'm just going to be who I, who I want. And men are, you know, if men can, can consume women, like why can't women do it the same? and uh yeah it's it's so fun to watch her and um it really does make me think man if she were making movies today (laughs) (laughs) well okay so this this is a good segue uh so we did get a question from at um owen daly uh and what he asks is are you guys fans of drag race and have you seen the may West, uh when may west was impersonated by one of the queens of the show more serious question do you see west could have been a um just do you see west could have been a major star during modern times um i did want to say something about drag race because as i said she she began her career basically not only being a major supporter of gay rights particularly the rights of of, of uh, gay men um she also began her career working with drag queens right Mm -hmm. and so i i like the fact that she is one of the gay icons gay male icons yep um and yes i have seen drag race i dig drag race and i remember seeing um one year it was a couple years ago uh they they did someone did may west and i was just like oh my god i love this this is great (laughs) like he was a great may west um and i think that she would have been incredibly appreciative of that too (laughs) oh she would have loved that so much those clips are hilarious you should watch it um it's just on youtube you could just google may west drag race and um yeah (laughs) so so much fun and she would have absolutely loved it and yeah i do think if she were alive today she would be just as major of a star um it'd be interesting to see what kind of work she would do and what she would be known for but um but yeah I definitely think that she would have found a way if she wanted to she would have found a way to break into Hollywood and she would just be just as amazing now well and this is one of the interesting things I was was thinking about you know would she have made it as a star and I think it would have been very different obviously and in some ways you know in terms of the kind of sex jokes that we can make now in film she's very tame um but there's she would be modern like that's the thing she would be she She would would adapt to the times and that control of her own image I think is one of the things that makes her even in her her you know films in the 1930s that makes her very modern um it was interesting because several weeks ago I had a a conversation with some friends about about WAP uh and whether or not it was feminist (laughs) and and that happened to coincide with me watching a whole bunch of Mae West films so that's the background (laughs) to this but I was actually thinking about it It it's like yeah but this this is it is burlesque right this is burlesque this is extremity um and but you're also talking about women taking charge of 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 imagery that is imposed upon them by men um and rather than sort of you know saying like well i'm going to do the exact opposite they're like well i'm going to take this and i'm going to take it to an extreme and i am going to have control over how i express my sexuality and how i and how i dress what i do with my body what i do with my voice etc and so in that sense, I think that there's a, there's definitely a continuum between someone like Mae West and, um, and WAP and, and some of the more recent um, 
kind of performances of femininity. I think that, and I think that's very important that we recognize that. She is still very influential and she was very influential in the period, even though um, the code did definitely essentially destroyed her career by the end of it because she couldn't get away with saying the things that she wanted to say. Yeah. Uh, they kind of, basically she tried and there are some of her postcode films that are still very good, but they definitely lose strength because you can tell that she has that she's trying to say something trying to do something that she can't do mm -hmm. um yes I, I i think i said a while ago uh uh that you know men were so terrified of may west that they made up an entire code of censorship just to stop her <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it it's funny because it's like it does feel like pieces of the code were much more directed at her than they were directed at the work of like gangster films and you know the stuff that Frances Marion was writing and yeah. you know it does feel it feels like they really just wanted women to be quiet and sweet and <laughs> Not women can't West. say those things <laughs> exactly. women can't talk about men like women that don't, women don't think like that oh yes we fucking do <laughs> <laughs> um so oh we did we did get uh, another question which i i think i don't know tons about may west's um stage career but so the question is from sorry i almost lost it um, is from at May Westside, uh, and 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 they ask why does the myth persist that a three-hour play Diamond Lil was filmed as she done him wrong, uh, when only a few minutes of the play was shoehorned in? I think the the reason why this exists is because of the title of the the name of the character, um, and also Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's why. That's why. Exactly. So yeah, it's a it's a three hour play. And actually, I've read a number. I haven't read Diamond Lil, but I've read a number of Mae West plays. They are explicit. They are <laughs> far more explicit than her films. Um, and they are dealing with things not not just about um, sexuality, but about prostitution, about abortion, about violence against women, um, things like that. And, and they're really interesting to read, actually. But uh, most if any parts of those plays made it onto the screen they were very much defanged yeah yeah they would have had to be uh, even though like um she done him wrong was what 1933 so it was really before the code fully was was being implemented um but even still there were limits to what uh, theater like uh theaters would have allowed to to yeah. show so. I mean, there there was censorship before the code. It just right. wasn't the same kind of censorship. There was a lot more that was allowed. Yeah, it wasn't codified. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was just kind of like, well, I'm offended by this, so I'm not going to show it. Whereas it became, this is part of, this is against the rules and you can't do it. So very different things. So before we close out this conversation, I wanted to ask you of the films that you saw, which was there one that was your favorite or was there like a particular scene that you're just like, oh my God, I love this. Oh man. Um, well, every time she was flirting with Cary Grant was great. <laughs> I mean, how do you not love that? So, um, so I saw her, I saw them in She Done Him Wrong and I'm No Angel. And um, uh, yeah, those are both just so fun but i think for me 
uh and maybe it's just because it's the one that i watched last the um go into town yeah. where she <laughs> she's supposed to marry this guy and then he dies so she's out of having to marry him and but she gets all his money it's like wow this is great and um it's just such a fun movie because then it ends up being like this kind of caper there's um uh it's she gets kind of inserted into this very manly world of like horse racing gambling <laughs> and stuff and it's uh, it's just such a fun movie and i just oh man i love it i love it i love her um <laughs> uh <laughs> i'm trying to think there's <laughs> there's like a, it's early i'm pretty sure it was that one i watched four of them right in a row so now maybe i'm getting some things confused but i think it was when she and her fiance decided to get married and she's putting off the wedding for as long as possible and she's just like <laughs> that's 10 weeks away and she's just like yeah i know be glad you know <laughs> at least i'm saying yes basically and it's just like oh my gosh she's she's me she's who i want to be when i grow up <laughs> i think that we should all aspire to at least have a little bit of may west in our lives <laughs> um one of my favorite scenes is still the courtroom scene at the end of i'm no angel yeah where she she because it's so clever and i like the fact that she's basically facing all of the men that she's had affairs with <laughs> and 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 you know and I, what i really like is that and i can't remember the line exactly but the if there's there's a line that she says just like well are you are you sorry that you gave me those presents no mm -hmm. you know do you want them back are you asking for them back no just like well then what are you complaining about and <laughs> and there is this this sense of like you know, it, it talk about her acquisitiveness and almost all of her films, she's she's always looking for money, right? She's looking for a man with money. Mm -hmm. um, she's looking for good sex and a man with money, uh, preferably in, in the same package. Uh, <laughs> and, but, but one of the things I like about that is that it addresses very much head on of just like, she's being blamed for, you know, taking presents from men. And she's just like, if they want to give me presents, I'm not going to argue with them about it. Like, I'm not stealing from them. I'm not doing anything wrong. If they give me something and then I'm like, great, bye. Like, <laughs> that's my right. And I really love that. I love that whole sequence where she's just like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. I slept with all of those guys. It was yeah, great. And? <laughs> it was great. They gave me a whole bunch of diamonds and money. It was even better what do you want mm -hmm. from me <laughs> <laughs> well and i love the way gary grant's just watching her and he's watching all this unfold and he's just kind of yeah. like but i love her and one of the things that's so fun about the two of them is how much younger he is than her yeah. and it's like it just makes it even hotter i think it's like <laughs> this younger man who's totally in love with her and obsessed with her well and and I think that it's notable, you know, she starts her career in, uh, in Hollywood in 1932. She was mm -hmm. nearly 40 years old. That's really unusual yeah. for a woman in that period to be, to be on, on quotation marks of the wrong side of 30. Mm -hmm. And I and mean, it's to, unusual now. So it, it yeah, is very much so. And, and to, to also launch a career where her whole persona is playing these incredibly sexual roles um and she's seducing men like Cary Grant or Randolph Scott you know mm -hmm. that's that's interesting um, <laughs> uh 
but yeah, they are visibly younger than her. Like, you know, Carrie, this is baby Cary Grant. This is a very young Cary Grant. He's I think this gorgeous. is like his fourth movie. She done him yeah. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so again, it's it's that kind of embracing of female sexuality uh, at, at any age. And you know what? She did a lot of, of different things as she got older. She did radio, she did stage. Um, you know, most famously, she was in Myra Breckenridge very late in her career and everything, but she always had that kind of embrace of her sexuality and who she was, regardless of her age. And, and I really love that about her. Yes, we should all be like Mae West. Yes, so uh, that, that is everyone's assignment, you know, male or female, not uh, binary, non, non-binary, um, you know, transgender, etc., go out and be more like Mae West. Like, mm-hmm. I think we should all do that. Yes. Um, <laughs> and if you can't be Mae West, be Cary Grant. That's, <laughs> you know, another option. It's not a lot to ask. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, so I think that that is going to close us out unless there's anything else you wanted to talk about, Karen. Well, um, I just wanted to mention on the subject of Mae West and Cary Grant that I really love the fact that we have him because she pushed for him you know like yeah he he became a star really because she decided that she wanted him to be a star and i love that so much and um and well and she just she really was so supportive of so many people in her um in her career and it's just so great i was reading this story about um shoot now i gotta i gotta look up the name because i don't want to get this wrong um but it was uh, uh, sorry hold on talk amongst yourself (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) um i just don't want to get this wrong and i because it was one of her co-stars in yes yes okay so it was in i'm no angel it was the woman who played beulah gertrude howard um and beulah is her uh her maid her personal assistant person this black woman who of course there's definitely you know a lot of um stereotype to the character but i was reading this story gertrude howard died at age 41 and it was Mae West who raised the money for her to have a proper funeral. And wow. I just thought that was so touching. And this was, you know, she didn't do a lot of movies, but um, she did several. And this was, I think, the only movie that the two of them did together. But it was something that really, I just, I loved that. I thought it was so, so cool. And then I start. it kind of took me down this rabbit hole of just learning more about Mae West and how supportive she just was of other people that she worked with. And I just think, man, not only was she really in charge of who she was, but she was also very supportive of other people and really encouraging of other people. And I think that's awesome. I, I think that that's good to know. And it, one of the things that actually, and just you mentioning that I was going to close this out, but I did want to say this um, <laughs> is one of the things that I like about her is that there is very rarely in her films a sense that she is a enemy to other women. Yeah. Um, There are definitely women that she doesn't like and that don't like her, but usually her attitude is, you know, 
that she wants to support other women. She very she very often is is uh, protecting particularly younger women um, who maybe don't completely know what they're doing. Uh, that's that's a major theme, and she done him wrong, and it's it's an interesting theme also. Um, but there, there is the sense that she's just like, I don't want to encroach upon other women, but I also will not be bullied. I will not be, you know, women, if women want to call me names, I'm not going to allow them to do that, right? That's yeah. not going to be something that I will accept. And I like that balance. Like you say, there are definitely is issues um, of racism in her films. And uh, I think that, you know, I would be very interested to know if, um, any any black film critics had really talked about her in this way because there, there's a lot of tension. There's on the one hand, a lot of identification of her and her role with uh, the black community in her films. But at the same time, there is definitely this divide. Uh, and there's on the one hand in something like She Done Him Wrong um, or I'm No Angel, there's almost this, there's this camaraderie that, that is there between her and, and her black maids. But at the same time, they're her maids, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's an interesting dynamic and it's not as cut and dry maybe as it could have been. Um, and it, it's definitely problematic, uh, but I would be really interested to actually read more about that. Yeah, yeah, I would too. Definitely um, something to research. Yes, so I think that is going to close us out. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to this very whiplashy sort of episode. <laughs> There are eight Mae West films on the Criterion channel right now. There's a collection, The Best of Mae West, and go watch it. Go watch them, yes. All of them are worth it, definitely. Like, if you have not seen She Done Him Wrong and I'm No Angel and Belle of the 90s, definitely watch those. Like, yes. Just make it your mission. They're not terribly long either, so, you know. Yeah, I think the longest one was, like, an hour and 26 minutes. Yeah. Most yeah. of them are, like, an hour and five, an hour and ten, so, mm -hmm. yeah. So, and as always, we want to thank our patrons who are being so lovely and kind and supporting us. We do have a new patron. Um, who's our new patron? Robert. We have two Roberts oh, now. Oh, we have two Roberts. I was like, oh my God, is there a new patron? <laughs> so we want to thank uh, very much Adriana, Ali, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Matthew, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Robert, Sharon, Natal. And Will. I think that Sharon and Steve are still on there as well. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, so thank you so much. And as always, you know, we've, we've definitely been rearranging our um, our patronage. That's changed a little bit. So if you are a patron and you haven't checked on that, please go and look at that um, just to be certain that you're on the tier that you want to be on. Um, and anyone who is not a patron, please, we welcome you. We would love this. We were so grateful for the people that, uh, that patronize us. <laughs> Um, our, our the only Patreon, way we'll allow it. <laughs> it's true. Uh, our Patreon is patreon.com slash citizen dame. And if you just want to send us a couple of dollars, you don't want to make a commitment, that is fine as well. We have a Ko-Fi account. That's ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. You can buy some of our merch from our Zazzle store. That's zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. We have masks on there. Wear your fucking mask. Uh, and of course, you can get in touch with us a multitude of ways. We are on Twitter and Instagram at CitizenDamePod. Our email is CitizenDamePod at gmail.com. And we have our website, CitizenDamePod.com, where we have reviews up. And I'm going to have some more reviews up because I'm finally getting out from underneath a mountain of work. 
Yeah. Uh, Karen, I know is going to have some more reviews up. So yep. yeah, keep an eye on that. We are doing our best. Um, that is citizendamepod.com. And of course you can get in touch with us uh, individually. I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. And that will close us out for this week. We will talk to y'all later. Bye. Well, when I'm good, I'm very good. But when I'm bad, I'm better. <laughs> What's a good of resistant temptation? There'll always be more. Well, I wish you'd forget your principles, Ruby. I must have you. Your golden hair, your fascinating eyes, and alluring smile, and lovely arms. Your form divine. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is this a proposal or you take an inventory? You certainly know the way to a man's heart. Mm, funny, too, because I don't know how to cook. <laughs>